the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Pat Williams Power Hour on the new 950 WTLN. This is your hour when Orlando Magic Senior Vice President Pat Williams sits down and speaks with authors who have written books on topics of interest and insight for listeners like you. And now, here's your host, Pat Williams. Welcome once again to the Pat Williams Weekend Power Hour. We enjoy our visits with you every weekend on AM 950 WTLN. Alan Dempsey is our engineer today. We're glad to have Alan there behind the glass. And Andrew Herdliska produces our show each weekend. And uh, he has produced in this first half hour Ed Suzuki who along with Derek Cooper have written a, a very interesting book. It's called Unfollowers, Unlikely Lessons on Faith from Those Who Doubted Jesus. Ed, thanks for joining me. I hope things are well with you. We're doing great. Thanks so much for having me on your show. Congratulations on, on your book. It's a, it's a good one. In the introduction, uh, you say, A Messiah Who Didn't Fit the Job Description. Uh, what are you telling us there? Yeah, well, uh, everyone that Jesus came to speak to had a very specific uh, set of assumptions about the Messiah, uh, and different groups had different different expectations. But they all had very specific a specific mold for him to fit in. And when Jesus came and he started to uh, preach about the kingdom of God and and welcome the outsiders and uh, heal people and uh, you know approach the law very differently. He disappointed a lot of people, and so uh, in our book, Unfollowers, we talk about you know all these people wanted a Messiah really bad. They all read the scriptures really closely, and yet they didn't end up following Jesus. So, so what got in the way? What kept them from following him? You've got ten interesting personalities here, and I uh, want to cover all of them if we can, Ed. The first one, John the Baptist, a Messiah no one expected. Uh, what are you teaching us about John the Baptist? Yeah, uh, with with John, he had he had this this uh, childhood where he's growing up, hearing all these stories about how it's his job to announce the Messiah. Like his father sees an angel, uh, and you know if that if that happened to any any of us in our families, and that was part of our uh, our story, that would be something you talk about all the time. And so he's got uh, this this really clear mission about what he's going to do with his life, and he he announces that, that Jesus is the Messiah. He points him out. And yet, uh, when Jesus doesn't overthrow the Roman government, when Jesus doesn't challenge Herod, uh, John John has has doubts and he has questions. He wants to know why why isn't Jesus you know doing the work that they expected the Messiah to do? So, uh, yeah, he had these expectations for really, this is how this is how God works. And I think that's you know an important lesson for us to learn that when we think that God has to work a certain way, uh, that sets us up for doubt, and and there needs to be an openness to see. Uh, how God may be answering our prayers differently than what we're expecting. The second topic you get into are the townspeople of Nazareth, a Messiah who is extraordinary. Uh, what's going on here, Ed? Uh, yeah, so with Jesus' hometown, uh, these, these are people who are very uh, committed to, to uh, Jewish nationalism, I would say, back then. Like they wanted to overthrow Rome. They wanted to get rid of the Greeks who were importing all of their uh, their pagan culture. And, and so when Jesus comes to them and says that he's God's going to welcome the Gentiles and, and make one people, uh, it's it's like the, it's a bad scene out of the, like, look who's coming for dinner, you know? It's like, uh, we're going to invite all the people that are your enemies. Uh, so, yeah, so it's just, it's really, really uh, uh, charged scene where they're even going to try to kill him because he wants to, he wants to, to, to bring God some good news and welcome uh, the Greeks and Romans into God's people. And so uh, they, they, they wanted a Messiah who was going to punish and, and destroy. And, and Jesus says, I'm actually coming to, uh, to mend all nations into one. Now I want you to get into the third topic and uh, teach us about the Pharisees, a Messiah who keeps the right company. Yeah, the, the Messiah, uh, Pharisees are really the ones who, who kind of 
provoked me to write this book. And I, I think that a lot of these stories come out of my own personal convictions, just reading the Gospels and, and seeing myself and all these unfollowers. And so the Pharisees had a really uh, set way of reading the Bible. They had a really airtight theology, and they promoted their theology by basically excluding anyone who didn't fit their mold of observing the law. So that's why we see them them fighting Jesus all the time over different miracles he performs in the Sabbath and healing people. So uh, the Pharisees have a very, very different idea of how to use Scripture than Jesus and how to uh, be a faithful follower of God. And so really the heart of the conflict with them is that they're they're searching the Scriptures and their noses are in Scripture so much that they can't see what God is doing in their midst among them. And so uh, they become unfollowers because... Uh, Jesus doesn't match their theology. He doesn't. He doesn't. You know, toe the line for them. And now, how about <clears throat> the Galileans? A Messiah who makes sense. Fill us in on that one. Yeah. Well, like you know, Jesus. Uh, he's he's up there in, in Galilee, and uh, you know, he's working with all these fishermen and all these people, and, and, and they're poor and they're they're struggling, and uh, you know, they want a Messiah who is is going to take care of their needs and meet their needs. And, and they can't figure out uh, why Jesus, he's able to multiply bread and fish, but he's not going to, uh, you know, take over and be their ruler and be their king. And it just, it doesn't make sense. And so they can't, they can't figure out the way that God's, that God's kingdom works. And God's kingdom is, uh, isn't about, uh, you know, it's not about making us comfortable. Uh, it's not about comfort. It's about uh, God's rule in our lives. So it's, it's this like letting go of their expectations about, uh, what it means to be uh, comfortable, what, what you know, what God's provision looks like, uh, and and so, you know, it was they they basically had a, a fairly self-serving faith at the end of the day. My guest is Ed Suzuki. He and Derek Cooper have written a book called Unfollowers: Unlikely Lessons on Faith from Those Who Doubted Jesus. Uh, we have now arrived, Ed, at the rich young ruler, a Messiah who makes life easy. Yeah, he's got something in common with the people in Galilee, but he's got a different spin on on comfort. Uh, I, I like to call his his thinking the the bias of, of affluence. That yeah, you know, we think that if you're if you're doing well financially, you're blessed. That God is with you, and that when things are tight financially, uh, that God is somehow failing, or God is angry or disappointed, or whatever. So we we tie our our financial situation with uh, God's approval or God's uh, provision. So. Um, you know his story is, is is such that he he just wants Jesus to approve of his lifestyle and of his decisions. And so, uh, you know, I think a lot of times we approach this story, and especially as Americans, it's really hard to read it. And I, I get nervous, you know, reading about him telling this guy to sell everything he owns. Uh, but I think that it's about what's holding us back from Jesus. And so, you know, this guy put all of his stock uh, for his spirituality and for his life in his possessions. And so, like. Those, those, like it was like all those things just had to go because that was his whole system, his whole way of viewing the world. And so, I think for each of us, we have to approach this story and ask, uh, what gets in the way? What, what keeps us from following God? Now we get to an interesting one. The sixth topic that you write about: Judas Iscariot, a Messiah who follows my plans. Yeah, I think Judas is one of those characters who, to us, appears kind of larger than life. And, uh, you know, it's hard to like, think, like, well, what can we learn from this guy? But Judas is really fascinating because I, I think we can actually relate to him in that he had a plan B. And, you know, who, who wouldn't want to have a plan B when you're making a big life commitment to, uh, you know, you, you know he's, he's left everything behind. Um, you know, he's doing all this, all this stuff following Jesus around, putting his life in danger. And, uh, you know, so he had a plan B. When Jesus didn't work out, he was ready to, he was ready to sell him out to the, the Pharisees. So, uh, he, he gives us a really strong contrast for Peter, who, you know, for all of his struggles and failings, uh, Peter uh, says, Lord, to whom should we go? You have the words of eternal life. And so he provides a powerful corrective. How about the Judeans? That's the seventh topic, a Messiah who affirms my theology. Yeah, so uh, the Judeans are the, the people who are all around Jerusalem. Uh, they're really committed to following the law. And uh, the story of the man being healed by the pool of Siloam, um, you know, he's, you know, he's, he's there by the pool of Siloam, and Jesus heals him. Everyone knows this guy. And you'd think that we'd have this huge party, that everyone would rejoice that this guy has been healed. Uh, 
And instead, they're actually uh, attacking Jesus and going after him and going after this guy. And, and so, uh, you know, why, why would they reject a miracle like this? Like, we, you would think that we would, they would be celebrating that. And it's all because uh, Jesus is challenging the way that they use the law. And Jesus uses the law to heal, to restore, to bring life. And uh, on the other hand, they, they use the law in this really exhausting way. Like, following the Sabbath was really hard and not restful for them because there were so many different things you had to do to, to be right with God. And so Jesus uh, kind of flips the tables on them, so to speak. My guest, ladies and gentlemen, is Ed Suzuki. We're talking about his book on followers. More after this on the Pat Williams Weekend Power Hour. It's AM 950 WTLN in Orlando. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on the new 950 WTLN. Police called and broke the bad news to Charles. His personal and financial information was found on an identity thief's computer disk. Nervous and confused, Charles called LifeLock, the industry leader in identity theft protection. LifeLock went into action, uncovering multiple fraudulent credit applications the identity thief was trying to open in his name. LifeLock shut them down and helped him restore his good name and credit. Charles found out the hard way that identity theft is a global crime, a crime that's become so complex you simply can't fight it alone. Your personal and financial information is everywhere. Don't wait for a call from the police before you take action. Visit LifeLock.com now or call and mention promo code AWARE to get a special 10% discount. Call 1-800-838-6010. 800-838-6010. See LifeLock.com for details. Network does not cover all transactions and scope may vary. Join Richard Jordan, president of Grace School of the Bible, as he opens God's Word every Sunday afternoon at 5.30 on the new 950 WTLN. If you miss the Sunday broadcast, you can listen and study along with Dr. Jordan 24-7 at WTLN.com by clicking on the podcast tab and then Riches of Grace, Riches of Grace, a service of Grace Impact Ministries at graceimpact.org. 5.30 Sunday on the new 950 WTLN. WTLN. Hi, this is Pastor Johnny with The Vision, bringing you a message of love and grace on the new 950 WTLN. Sunday mornings at 1045 a.m. Or if you can't catch the broadcast at that time, you can get us at WTLN.com 24-7, where you can download the podcast anytime and enjoy that message. That's The Vision on the new 950 WTLN. Power Hour on the new 950 WTLN. And now, here's Pat. Ed Suzuki is with us. Uh, He and Derek Cooper have written a wonderful book. It's called Unfollowers, Unlikely Lessons on Faith from Those Who Doubted Jesus. We have covered seven of these interesting personalities, Ed. Now we move to Herod and Pilate, a Messiah who caters to the powerful. Fill us in, please. Yeah, yeah. Herod and Pilate are really fascinating because they um, they're both you know, like they're both the different bookends of Jesus's life. Like there's Herod the Great, who is you know this really powerful king who tries to kill Jesus. Pilate is the one, the ruler, the governor who actually does kill Jesus. Both of them legitimize their power through force. Like they, that's their ultimate power is taking away life. And so uh, when Jesus is before Pilate, there's this really ironic moment where Jesus can. Basically, he can legitimize his power by restoring life, by, by healing and, and resurrecting. So uh, it's a really powerful moment to see how the kingdom of God works versus the kingdom of man. Now we get to Caiaphas, the ninth topic, a Messiah who leaves us in charge. Yeah, Caiaphas was another uh, character that I feel like he's like Judas. He's kind of larger than life. I think that we we struggled to enter into his story because he's just so awful and so villainous. Uh, but if, if we can try to enter into his, his world for a minute, it's really helpful to think about what he feared. He feared that Rome would come 
and destroy Jerusalem and, and kill all the people and destroy the temple. Uh, so, and then Rome did that several times uh, after after uh, Jesus's death and resurrection. So, uh, his fears were, were founded uh, for sure. But what's really fascinating is that Caiaphas set himself up basically as the savior. He he was saving the people of Israel from destruction. And so, while Jesus is actually saving the people of Israel on the cross, uh, Caiaphas is thinking that he's actually, by his own power, by his own planning and scheming, he's, he's saving Israel. So uh, it's, it's that he, he didn't see the power of God. He didn't see how God could save Israel. He relied on his own resources, his own plans. And uh, in the process, you know, by underestimating God's power, he became incredibly alienated from God to the point that he plotted to kill Jesus. Ed, fill us in on the 10th discussion here, the Emmaus Disciples, <clears throat> a Messiah who surprises us. Yeah, the Emmaus Disciples uh, are the ones that we chose to end the story with, because I think that a lot of times we think that because we have doubts or we struggle or, uh, you know, or we, we just have moments where we can't figure out what God's up to, uh, we feel like we're disqualified or we can't get back on track with God. Uh, sometimes we feel like doubt is just, you know, we've gone too far. And uh, it's not the last word. The, the Emmaus story shows us two, two men who are doubting. They've given up. They've run away. Uh, and they're trying to figure out what just happened. They, they, can't, they can't sort out Jesus at all. And so uh, this is a really dark, low moment for them. And that's when Jesus, Jesus shows up and instructs them, but most importantly, sits down to eat with them. And so uh, whatever, whatever we feel like with our doubts, whatever, wherever we're at with all that, uh, God, is, God is able to work with us. Uh, that Jesus shows up, he's able to teach them, and he sits down to eat with them. And I think that you know, even if we can't find all the answers, we can find the presence of God uh, in Jesus. And as we, we sit down and fellowship with him, uh, we, may, we may not find perfect answers, but he's, he's there, and he's willing to, to sit with us, even if, if we have some uncertainty and doubts. Ed, how, in, how did you and Derek pick these 10 <clears throat> for your book? And was there a long list that you could have used? Were there others that uh, just didn't fit in the book? Yeah, I'm really glad you brought that up. Uh, Derek went through the Gospels line by line and found uh, he's a Bible scholar at a biblical seminary, and uh, he found every unfollower story. He made a, an exhaustive chart that we included in the back of the book. Uh, we used it to select our chapters and tried to find different kinds of stories about unfollowers that were unique. Uh, but yes, there are there are lots of unfollower stories that uh, if readers wanted to study a little bit further, uh, he has a great chart in the back of the book. So <clears throat> there could be a second volume. <laughs> I don't think so. I think that you know the uh, you know we, we tried to cover the different kinds of people, and I think that we we chose people who are representative of uh, the unfollowers. Uh, so I feel like we we definitely you know said about all we could think of saying. <laughs> Thank you, though. <laughs> Ed, most of us prefer to identify with the heroes of the Bible. Yet <clears throat> you start out by saying we all have something in com- common with the villains. Uh, how is that? What, what do you mean by that? Yeah, uh, so, you know, like, like the story about the, the Pharisees and how that related to me, I think that sometimes we we just assume that people are just bad in the Bible, and we forget that they actually have a, a backstory and they have reasons for what they do and what they believe. And so, you know, in the case of the Pharisees, uh, you know, they were just trying to be faithful to the Bible. I think we can relate to that. Uh, that they wanted to follow Scripture, they wanted to prepare the way for God, and they just did it the wrong way. And so, uh, you know, it's a, it's a, in a lot of ways, the Gospels share a lot of cautionary tales about, uh, you know, study the Scriptures, yes, uh, but we find life in Christ. And so it's that balance in our lives of, um, you know, the Spirit and the Word working among us. Do you think we tend to make Jesus into the image that works best for us? Yeah, I mean, I think the Gospels show us just a whole bunch of different people who made Jesus into this kind of idealized uh, version of themselves, and, and kind of, he kind of embodied, or, or at least the Messiah, embodied their aspirations. Some of Jesus didn't, didn't match their aspirations. He was disappointing, and a lot of people just kind of bailed out. I think that, you know, what's fascinating to me is that there are all these people in the Gospels who were kind of just on the fence or just didn't 
we're just kind of indifferent towards Jesus. And so, you know, a lot of times we focus on the Pharisees who were plotting to kill him, but there are all these other people who, who saw his miracles, who were fed by him, uh, you know, who saw all these extraordinary things. And yet they, they said, you know what? Eh, it's just not worth it. It's, it's, it's too risky. And, and so, you know, those are the stories that are really interesting for me to figure out uh, why, why, did, why was Jesus disappointing for them? What were they really looking for instead? You suggest, Ed, that some of us have become too familiar with the Gospels. Uh, what do you mean by that? What is that? Yeah, well, I, I, you know, someone said one time that we're like inoculated <laughs> against the Bible. Sometimes we've had like a small dose of it, and we're just familiar enough that it can't really shock us. And I think that's true sometimes for me, that I have a hard time seeing just how revolutionary and difficult Jesus' message was for his original audience. And so uh, if we answer the Gospels through the perspective of these unfollowers, I think that we can see the, the force of Jesus' message and the challenge of Jesus in a, a brand new light. And so it's really helpful uh, for us, you know, just in our devotional lives, to look at these unfollower stories and to, to see exactly what made Jesus so challenging and so revolutionary. Uh, as opposed to, I think, the, the tamed Jesus, I think, that I may have had for a number of years. Ed Suzuki and Derek Cooper have written the book. It's called Unfollowers, Unlikely Lessons on Faith from Those Who Doubted Jesus. What do you think the people closest to Jesus, and in many cases, uh, still struggled to believe him? Yeah, they got really familiar with him, and they, they didn't think that he could... You know, he could be the Messiah. That he was just—he was just a carpenter. He was an average guy, and and then uh, if he was going to be the Messiah, he was taking all of his disciples from Galilee and not Nazareth. And so, uh, you know, why was he leaving his family out? So, um, and I think that a lot of us have had that experience of you know our our families have been uh, some of the most difficult relationships to to manage with, just with our beliefs and our religion. And so, um, I think that Jesus is uh, you know it's a good reminder that that's a that's a common struggle, that, that sometimes family and uh, religion, they don't mix with the best, and it can be difficult. There's a phrase in your book, the bias of affluence is hard to shake. Uh, what does that mean? Yeah, that's, that's the uh, rich young ruler story. Um, and, and so like, that's, that's the whole assumption that if, if I'm doing well financially, uh, God must be blessing me. And so that, that story really hits at that, because... The disciples are in despair at the end of the story. You know, Jesus is, is talking about this guy needing to sell everything he has, and he's going away sad. And the disciples are saying, like, well, who can be saved then? If this guy who had his act together uh, financially and had all, all these great blessings from God, uh, who can be saved? And so uh, I think that Jesus is, is really putting a lot of TNT into that idea and blowing it up. And in the chapter on Herod and Pilate, uh, you introduce us to the phrase "generosity of power." Uh, what what does that phrase mean? Yeah, I'm glad you asked about that. Uh, you know, I, I think that for us, we see you know rulers and political power, and I think it makes sense that you wanna you wanna hold on to your power, consolidate. That's why uh, rulers are so uh, unwilling to step down once once they rise to power. It's it's all about holding on to power and and. Uh, you know, protecting it and guarding it and, and killing anyone who would threaten it or, or at least, uh, you know, immobilizing them. So when Jesus has all this power, he's the Son of God, he's actually giving it away. He's giving his authority to his disciples, and he's empowering them. And, uh, you know, he doesn't leave behind this big organization. I think that if we compared him to, like, what, what we would say a, a successful church planner should be, uh, he's kind of the opposite of that. And so, you know, he, he diffused his power amongst all these different followers, and, and it, was, it was fairly unorganized. And so I think that is a, a good challenge for us to think about how leaders can actually give away their power, empower other people. And, uh, you know, maybe it's not about having a big hierarchy or a big organization. Maybe it's more about just, uh, you know, finding out what God has given us and then, and then passing that, that gift and that that uh, power or authority on to other people as well. And let me go back to chapter 9, the chapter about Caiaphas, and you, and you say that the high priest Caiaphas and Jesus both had the same goal. Uh, what does that mean? Yeah, Caiaphas and Jesus, uh, you know, Jesus, as we know, was was actually saving Israel. He was, he was also the Savior of the world. 
Uh, and Caiaphas is just trying to kind of keep the status quo, keep keep things going. But you know, in, in his mind, he really thought of himself as as saving Israel from Rome. That if Jesus kept going along and, and teaching the things he was teaching, uh, you know, Rome would come and destroy their land. And so, uh, it's it's a really uh, striking, ironic moment that by killing Jesus, Caiaphas is thinking that he's saving Israel from Rome. And, and in reality, Jesus' death is actually what's saving Israel. Here's another topic that has hit me. <clears throat> Jesus managed to stay clear of the politics of his day, and he didn't alienate soldiers or politicians in the process. Um, do you think this is an example we ought to follow? Yes, yeah, uh, Jesus in politics is really tricky for me. And what I like to say to begin with is that uh, we need to have a lot of grace for all the different sides and approaches here, because... Uh, there's no real modern equivalent back then, you know, because Caesar wasn't just a political figure. Uh, he was a, you know, a totalitarian emperor who also called himself God. So church and state were married together, uh, religion and, and politics. And so, uh, you know, to say that, you know, well, this is how Christians reacted to the Roman uh, Caesars or whatever, you know, that's really different <laughs> from what we have today. Uh, you know, we don't have politicians calling themselves gods, or at least you know, publicly saying so. Uh, and, and so, you know, when we look at Jesus's way of engaging the political sphere, I don't know if we can make a blueprint for exactly what we should do today. But what I do think is helpful is that he had the whole political spectrum uh, represented in his group of followers. So he had the Jewish revolutionaries. He had the uh, the tax collectors who were on the same side as Rome. He had the, the rough uh, working-class fishermen who, uh, you know, wanted the Messiah to destroy Rome, but they also weren't going to stick their nets out and uh, take up arms uh, unless they were pretty sure it was going to work. So uh, he has the whole spectrum of people, and he, he manages to uh, challenge and annoy everyone, but he still holds them all together. And so I find that a really fascinating challenge for me today. Ed, we've got about 60 seconds for the last question. Uh, why do you think the two men on the road to Emmaus that met Jesus after the resurrection uh, missed who he was? Yeah, they they saw that Jesus rose uh, a man from the dead, and then they saw him die, and they couldn't figure out you know, why would the Messiah die. And so uh, they had a, a, a dramatic moment of doubt, and they couldn't make sense of things. And I think that their story is is a good reminder to us today that there will be things that won't make sense, and maybe you know Jesus will show up and guide us, but maybe we'll just have to sit down for a meal with him and uh, let him figure out the details with us. Ed, a million thanks. You and uh, your writing partner have done a great job. The book is called Unfollowers, <clears throat> and I'm really glad that we could visit here today, and uh, I wish you all the best. Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. We're back for more. Uh, just a reminder, you're listening to the Pat Williams Weekend Power Hour. It's AM 950 WTLN in Orlando, Florida. Uh, stay with us. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on the new 950 WTLN. Strength. Know-how, pride in performance, integrity. These are qualities that are necessary to build a quality building. They are also the qualities that in today's world are so difficult to find. The Nemo Group is a general contractor that will not disappoint you. The Nemo Group is a local construction company built on the timeless principles of strength, quality, reliability, and integrity. Over 45 years of experience building in Florida, a team of professionals with different specialties, attract record of successful local projects. The Nemo Group, spelled N-Y-M-O, is dedicated to getting your project right and done on time. Renovations, new construction, remodeling, the Nemo Group can handle all of your construction needs. Don't take a chance on second-rate results when you can get your job done right the first time with the Nemo Group. Find out more online at thenemogroup.com. That's N-Y-M-O group.com. The Nemo Group is a member of the Orlando Tithe Network. Hi, I'm Barbara Sandbeck, your host on Grace Notes, a 15-minute program that contains biblical teaching and a wide variety of music. Some of the subjects we address are, why do we have trials, and cultivating intimacy with God. You can listen right here on WTLN every Sunday at 2.45 p.m. Can't catch the whole broadcast? Visit our podcast on the web 24-7 on WTLN.com. So tune in. You won't want to miss it. 
Hi, everybody. It's Pete Paquette, your morning host here at the new 950 WTLN. And I'd like to welcome back a computer program here on the weekends very familiar to our listeners. It's Tech Talk and more. Saturday afternoons at 4 from Palm Tree Computer Systems and Jinx IT. They are the experts on any problem you might be having, downloads, uploads, software, hardware. You've got questions? These experts have the answers. And you never know when you could win something pretty cool. It's Tech Talk and more. Now Saturday afternoons at 4 on the new 950 WTLN and WTLN. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on the new 950 WTLN. And now, here's Pat. Ed Sosinski, our guest in that first half hour, co-author of Unfollowers. Uh, We go to Denver, Colorado, and I'm... Very happy to bring Donna Hetzler along with us. Uh, Her book is called Walls of a Warrior, Conquering the Fears of Our Hearts. Uh, Donna, nice of you to visit with us. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on your show today, Pat. Conquering the Fears of Our Hearts. Do we all have fears of our hearts, do you think? I believe that we do. We have all, we've all had hurts and disappointments, and in response to that, we build fears in attempt to protect ourselves and to, to guard our hearts. And in doing that, what happens is we tend to isolate ourselves. And so we, we do have these fears and things that we need to conquer in our life. Chapter one, you call, it's a question. Yes. What, what walls? How do you answer that? What, what walls? Well, this whole process, the book started from a conversation with a group of friends that I do life with. And the the question was posed, why do we have a hard time asking for help? And that goes for men and women alike. I think we all have a hard time asking for help. And another friend said, well, it's because we have walls. And so that was my question. What walls? What are you talking about? I, I truly believe that I was a transparent person. And when I really examined my heart, what I found was I was still guarding my heart in certain areas. And I did identify that I indeed had walls. And so we went on this journey together, and we formed a group, and we began to meet. And we said, what walls do we have, if any? What are they called? What do they look like? And then more importantly, what does God say about them? And then how in the world do we begin to break down these walls so we can live in more authentic relationships? And so then our journey began, and uh, we discovered that we did have walls. And so identifying them was the first step. So when we identify our walls, one of the things that we can do is we can go to a trusted friend or a mentor. And so we can ask that person, what do you see in me? What is it that hinders relationships within our relationship and my relationships with others? What is it that I pull back? What do you see in me? And so a mentor or trusted friend can help you see that. They, if you will, they'll hold the mirror up so you can look and see what it is that is causing you to fear to build those walls up around your heart. The next thing we can do is go and take some time to have some self-examination. And when we self-examine ourselves, 90% of the time, we know what bothers us, what causes us to pull back, and we can identify that wall-building activity. And then I always say, of course, take it to God and let him reveal to you through prayer what it is that you need to work on to have a less guarded heart. Second topic, Donna, I want you to get into, it's another question, who am I? It's a great question, Pat, and it's a big one. And what I found is when I really examined myself that, I was wrapped up in what I do, and I think a lot of us get tend to get wrapped up in what we do, and that defines who we are. But in reality, who we are is what really makes us tick on the inside, and what are our passions in life, what really drives us to do the things that we do, and I think we lose sight of that so much, and so we spend our lives kind of stumbling through life and feeling a bit of loss of hope. And so what I began to do was identify 
who I am on the inside. You know, I love nature. I love, I love finding God in the ordinary. I'm an extrovert, but I certainly love my alone time to get recharged. And so once I start identifying all these things, I realize that I'm much more than the superficial labels that are put on me or I put on myself based on what I do. God has given me unique gifts that I need to utilize. And so what I found through this journey was that knowing our unique God-ordained purpose and living those out is what I am called to do. Now I want you to get to the third topic, getting real with God. Yes. (laughs) Getting real with God was another big topic because... So many times we tend to, to skate around our issues and, and go through life thinking we're doing okay, we're doing all right, so we're good enough, and I'm happy where I'm, I'm at in my walk with God. But here's what I've learned. It's kind of like, and you know all about teams, right, a basketball team. Mm-hmm. It's easy to be a spectator and sit on the sidelines and say, oh, that player should have done this or that. I can't believe they missed that score. And you can sit there and complain and tell everybody else what to do being a spectator. But it's not until you're an actual player in the game that you realize it's a lot tougher than it looks. And so being on God's team, he has called us not to be spectators. He has called us to be in the game. And it's not a spectator sport. And so we, I really had to get real with God and say, okay, what is it that you want me to do? What walls do I need to con- deconstruct so that I can really be a team player for you? And as I journeyed through this in writing my book, Walls of a Warrior, it was revealed to me different things that I needed to do to make that happen. And, and one of the things was that I was very fearful of what God might ask me to do especially writing this book. I'm vulnerable. I'm putting myself out there. I'm telling the world, you know, how I guard myself. And so that was very scary for me. And so I found myself fearful of things that God would ask me to do that I didn't think I was capable of. But here's what I found. God never does anything or asks anything of us that we are not capable of. He might push us a little out of our comfort zone, but he never has us do anything that we're not fully equipped to do. So we talked about getting real with God. How about getting real with others? That's the next topic, Donna. Yes, and I told you I I formed a group on this particular meeting that we had. What had happened was we had the lowest attendance to to discuss this topic. And so when we met again, I said, why is it, why is it that we are here trying to get real with each other, trying to break down these walls, and nobody shows up? And what we found was it was a very tough topic, because it's easy to say, okay, I'm going to get real with God, but when you have to face somebody, and you have to say, this is why I'm not real with others, because I have X, Y, or Z issue, now we're really bringing everything to the surface and the forefront, and we have to, to begin to really deal with those things, with those hurts, with those disappointments, with those fears, and it's very difficult to get that started. But once you begin the process, and again, this is with trusted friends and not just anybody, but once you're doing life with somebody in community, and that's when we can begin to share those deep hurts, and there is there's a lot of healing in that sharing, and so that's what we found is we really had to start to get real and begin to break just to chisel down just a little bit of that wall and start to share, and, and just beginning is the hardest part. Walls of hurt. What are you teaching us here? Walls of hurt. So all of us have experienced some type of hurt throughout our lives. Some of them have been not so hurtful. I mean, they've altered, the experience has altered the way you approach people or the way you approach life, but maybe not tripped us up in life as much as others. Some people have been scarred for life with hurts. And so hurts is a big one because we've all been there. We've all experienced them. And we have to learn how to get past hurts. And that's a really tough one. But 
there are so many hurting people out there who are just looking for a breath of oxygen, just, just one breath. And we tend to feel like we're alone when we've experienced hurts. We feel like there's nobody else out there who has walked in our shoes. And so when we can share, we can begin that healing process. And, and dealing with those hurts can, it can take some real time and maybe some counseling and, you know, getting some real in-depth help. But we need to get past our hurts because if we don't, we will get stuck and we'll get stuck in life and we tend to become bitter and we tend to lose love in our hearts and we tend to forget how to forgive others. And so what we really need to do is learn to deal with those hurts as they come along. And my book addresses how how we go about doing that. How about walls of esteem? Oh, that's another another great subject because so many times we find our worth in things that we do and we get so wrapped up in that and so we need to find the correct esteem for ourselves. We need to love ourselves. And this is a huge topic, especially with our youth today. Finding the correct esteem is a big one, especially for our young women who are coming into their own. And, you know, I would say that when you and I grew up, life was a lot different. We didn't have the social media. We didn't, I don't think we had cell phones or computers at that time, but we live in a, a in an age where our faces are buried in our devices, on Facebook, Twittering. We spend all of our time there, and we miss walking and doing life with others. And so what we need to do is get the correct esteem by living in community with others so we can get the correct perspective on ourselves. But the other thing that we can do when finding ourselves, especially young women, is we have to quit worrying about what others think. We've got to stop worrying about what others think. That's a big one. We tend to live in a world where they tell, the world tells us that you have to look a certain way, you have to act a certain way to be in, in the in crowd. And that's not what God tells us. His Word says that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. We are unique, each and every one of us. And we need to embrace that uniqueness. And once we do, we can find our esteem. The other thing that we really need to do is quit comparing ourselves to others. And that's for men and women alike. We tend to see how well we're doing when we are judging ourselves in comparison to somebody else. And many of times... We can see that we're doing better then, but many times we see that we are less than, and it really wrecks havoc with our esteem. So getting the proper esteem is really essential into knowing who you are and how you can identify those walls and then break them down. Now I want you to talk about walls of masks. Mm -hmm. Walls of masks came about because we tend to come out from our walls when we can guard ourselves with something else. And so we put on these false pretenses. And when we put on false pretenses, we can look better than we are. And so it affords us the ability to come out from behind our wall and to say, hey, I'm doing this. Here I am, and look at me. And it doesn't allow for vulnerability. And so when we hide behind a mask, I talk in my book, there's a specific woman that I talk about, and she was at a ladies' conference, and she was having a conversation with another woman her age, and they were talking about their daughters-in-laws, and they were saying, one, the one woman had said, you know, I've got the greatest daughter-in-law ever, and we have this great relationship, and life is wonderful, and woman two said, you know, gosh, I wish I could have that relationship, but my daughter-in-law, my daughter-in-law and I, we struggle to communicate. We have such a a difficult time. And I watched them from afar. And then woman one came back to me and, and told me about the conversation. And what she did not share with this other woman was that she has another daughter-in-law that she struggles to connect with. And so I write about her in my book, and I said, it's easy to judge her because we all do this. But what she did was she missed a moment to share God with this other woman and to share her same struggles. So she could have reflected Jesus in that moment and said, hey, 
I struggle. I'm there. I'm right there with you. Even though I have this one great relationship with my one daughter-in-law, the other one, I'm in the same boat. How can we help each other walk through, walk through life together? And she missed that opportunity. And so we need to come out from behind our walls, and we need to take off our masks and our false pretenses and just really begin to be real with others. My guest is Donna Hetzler. We're glad she's with us from Denver, Colorado. We're talking about her book, Walls of a Warrior. Uh, Back for more right after this, here on the Pat Williams Weekend Power Hour. It's AM 950 WPS. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on the new 950 WTLN. I will never forget the day my son Jeremy told me he hated me and slammed the door in my face. I'm behavioral therapist Janet Lehman. Behavior problems can turn the child you love and your life into a nightmare. That's why my husband James and I created the Total Transformation, the step-by-step program that shows you how to fix the worst behavior problems and get your child to respect and listen to you again. No matter what the behavior, defiance, backtalk, angry outbursts, disrespect, we can help you stop it. Now you can get the Total Transformation for free. All you need to do is get the program and let us know how it works for you. You can keep it forever for free. Limited number of free programs available. Call now. 1-800-801-9691. 1-800-801-9691. That's 1-800-801-9691. 1-800-801-9691. Does your garage door sag? Does your opener not open anymore? Has your garage spring sprung? Then you've got garage door-itis. What do you do? Three words. Florida Door Solutions. They have the solutions for any garage door problem. They're Central Florida's headquarters for professional products, service, and installation. From commercial and residential doors to gate operators, they have the reputation for doing the job right the first time on time. They carry the best name brands like Clope, Overhead Door, LiftMaster, and more. They've been voted the best garage door company three years in a row in Apopka. And they give back to the community through our local schools, youth sports, the Debbie Turner Cancer Care Center, and others. Can the garage door companies you used in the past say that so if your garage door is suffering from garage dooritis then you need to call florida door solutions 407-884-5955 that's 407-884-5955 or take a tour right now online at fladoor.com florida door solutions call them today Listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on the new 950 WTLN. And now, here's Pat. My guest is Donna Hetzler. Uh, we're talking about her book, Walls of a Warrior Conquering the Fears of Our Hearts. Uh, tell me about the walls of isolation, Donna. Certainly, Pat. Walls of isolation, I state in my book, are some of the worst walls that we can put up. And here is the reason why. What happens when we isolate is that we find ourselves distancing ourselves from others and from God. And I heard a message from Charles Stanley, who who did a little experiment, and he said, For one week, I stopped reading my Bible, and I quit praying, and I found myself drifting. Even our famous Dr. Charles Stanley was drifting because he didn't have that time. And so when we isolate, we don't feel like praying. We don't feel like getting into the Word, and we find ourselves drifting and slowly getting away from God and from others. And then we can slowly lose our perspective, and our faith starts to fade. And so isolation inhibits us from seeing spiritually. And this is so important, not to isolate so we can see spiritual things. And so what we need to do is we need to ask for help, even when we don't feel like it, and that is really difficult to do. I have many friends, including myself, who tend to just sink back and isolate when things are going wrong because, first of all, we don't want others to know that we're weak and we can't handle things, and we don't want to certainly ask for help. And so we need to reach out because God has hardwired us to be in relationship, and those people can help us see things that we might not see when we are isolating. And as we isolate, we begin to lose hope, 
and we become more fearful of things. And sometimes we develop false fears about things, and we need others to get our correct vision to see, no, 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 this is not correct. And here's where you're headed, and here's why you should not be fearful about such such a thing. So it's super important not to isolate and to reach out when needed. Next topic, stop, drop, and listen, you tell us. <laughs> yes, just stop everything that you're doing and listen. What I have found is that so many of us in relationships, we want to be fixers. So when we get a call and somebody needs our advice, it makes us feel great because we have all the answers. And what I have found in my journey in writing Walls of a Warrior is that many people don't want to be fixed. They just want to be heard. And there is such healing in sharing and then being heard. I mean, truly heard. And so what we did was this experiment in listening groups. And we sat with a partner and we had 10 minutes apiece, which is a very short time to do a listening group. But we sat and we had 10 minutes each. And so I had a listening partner and that listening partner would listen to me and not say a word during the 10 minutes. Now, when the shoe was on the other foot, I had a really hard time doing this because I'm a talker. And so I found myself, you know, trying to cut in and butt in and I've got the answer already. So it's really hard to be a good listener for me. And what we found was a lot of people, you know, they just want to jump in and fix. And that's okay because we all want to have our family and friends in doing life well and not being in in hurts and things. And so we want to fix, we want to fix quickly. But what we found was in truly hearing there, you can find the answers yourself, basically. And so when I had my listening partner, here's what happened. I was telling this person all about all the things I have to accomplish in a day. And I found myself saying, I certainly hope she does not say, hey, sister, quit taking on so much and quit doing this. And I just needed to be heard because I knew, I already knew the answers and what I needed to do. And being able to express that verbally helped me to recognize exactly what I needed to do without a response from somebody else. So being heard is is huge. And we can practice this in our daily life, in business, and all that we do. And it definitely uh, changes our relationships for the better. What can you tell us about walls of resentment and fear? Big one. Well, this this chapter is pivotal because we got into discussions of resentment, and resentment is tough because that really holds bitterness in your heart, and then you have a hard time forgiving, and God has called us to forgive and to move past those, and so we really had to ask ourselves the question, and I had to ask myself the question, do I want to be well? Do I want to be better, or do I want to live in this space? And so if you're listening out there and you are resentful of hurts or things that have happened to you in the past, you really do need to get past these and move on because God has called us to do that. And then in these discussions, the pivotal thing that I found was that fear is the root of all of our wall construction. And if we fear something, we're going to build a wall. And so here's what I write in my book. I said, if I cannot get real with God, I might be fearful of God's response to me. I could fear being real with others because they might not like what they see. I'm fearful of being hurt, so I build walls to protect my heart. If I lack self-esteem, I could be fearful of being strong and courageous. If I hide behind a mask, I could be fearful of showing the true me. If I cannot listen, I might be fearful of what truth might be spoken to me. Fear drives us to build our walls. And so once we can identify our fears, then we'll know why we're building walls. And let me just share with you for a moment on fear. With fear, we need to do a couple of things. It's, the Bible tells us to fear not so many times, but here's the, here's the problem. We continue to fear. It robs us of our daily joy. And so two things that I say in my book, one is starve your fear, and that means quit feeding it. Quit, quit telling yourself that you're fearful of certain things and replace those things with the promises of God. And then the second thing is lean into your fear. Do something that you fear just to, to face it and to make that face-on-face challenge. Challenge yourself because that 
that's what God calls us to do, is to live life to the fullest. Now we're going to talk about healthy walls. Mm. These are important walls, and they're good walls. I like to call them shielding our heart with Christ. And a big one for me was boundaries, boundaries with others. I tend to take on so much, and then I just do, do, do until I'm exhausted. And so what I found was that I really need to, needed to put boundaries in place in my life and begin to say no and not be a people pleaser. And I think we all just want to be loved and accepted. You know, the top human needs are to be known, loved, and seen. And so we want that acceptance. But God gives us boundaries as well. He says, these things are unacceptable. Here's what you do and here's what you don't do. And so I I really incorporated those into my life, placing boundaries, healthy boundaries with others. And some of the other walls that we can do to protect our hearts in a healthy way is forgiveness. And I've touched on that a little bit. Self-forgiveness is a big one. We tend to beat ourselves up about the simplest things. And so forgiving ourselves, and we need to live in that space just a little bit to remind ourselves where we failed. But in anything, from some of the biggest leaders I've, I've worked with, when they share their failures, that's when I grow. That's when they grow. We learn from our failures. So it's important to live in that moment to remind us where, where to grow and what not to do again. But it's also very important to then forgive and move on from there. And another thing we can do, Pat, is write promises on our hearts. And my husband road races, and a lot of people don't know what road racing is, but it's basically racing a motorcycle around an asphalt track. And I have seen him fall off at very high speeds. I have seen him unconscious for many minutes. And it's in those moments that I call on the promises that I've written in my heart. I I quote scripture, like, all the days ordained for my David were written in your book before one of them came to be. And as I hop on the scooter in pit lane and drive over to the corner worker to see what's going on, I'm not terrified. I'm as peaceful as I can be in the situation. But it does move us from that spot of terrified to knowing that, God, whatever whatever happens in this, my, my whole insides are screaming out, I do not want the circumstance. My guest has been Donna Hetzler. We're so glad that she joined us, uh, talking about her new book, Walls of a Warrior, Conquering the Fears of Our Hearts. It's a good book, and we recommend it highly, and many thanks to Donna for joining us. Uh, We will have a wrap-up right after this. You're listening to the Pat Williams Weekend Power Hour, AM 950 WTLN in Orlando. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on the new 950 WTLN. Let's face it, I can't get through the day without something really bugging me. Low information voters, out-of-touch D.C. insiders, you know what I'm talking about. Hi, it's Mike Gallagher. As a close observer of Washington, I have a lot of pest peeves. But All Seasons Pest Control wants to know, what's your pest peeve? With our infamous Florida heat and humidity, pests are starting to peeve the good people of Central Florida. When that happens, there's only one place to call, All Seasons Pest Control. All Seasons has been voted best pest control company for three years in a row. In fact, All Seasons Pest Control is famous as the home of the biggest roach and a popka. That's because All Seasons isn't a national chain. Instead, they're the kind of local family-owned small business that's been the backbone of the American economy for over 200 years. Call Wayne and Terry at 407-886-0204. 407-886-0204. Tell them your pest peeve or visit biggestroach.com. That's All Seasons Pest Control at biggestroach.com. Now, if only we can get them to pay a visit to Washington, D.C., huh? Listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on the new 950 WTLN. And now, here's Pat. Well, thank you so much for joining us here for the Pat Williams Weekend Power Hour. Ed Szynski was our guest in the first half hour <clears throat> talking about his book, Unfollowers, and then a nice visit with Donna Hetzler out in Denver, Colorado, uh, talking about her latest work, Walls of a Warrior. Conquering the Fears of Our Hearts. Uh, Please visit my website. It's patwilliams.com. The Twitter page is Orlando Magic Pat. 
And uh, please check out my latest book. It's called The Mission is Remission, Hope for Battling Cancer. It's in bookstores now in the health or illness section. And uh, Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, always a wonderful way to order books. In the meantime, have a wonderful day tomorrow at church with your family and a great week ahead. And we will be back next weekend for more on the Pat Williams Weekend Power Hour right here on AM 950 WTLN in Orlando, Florida. Thank you for joining us for this week's edition of the Pat Williams Power Hour. Join us again next week at this same time on the intersection of faith and reason. The new 950 WTLN. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.